Welcome to Mojo Moments. That's now Mojo Montreal, and you will discover why. You, you want to know why, Mark? Why? Because Montreal gives us mojo, and if you think about it, 80% of our guests are from Montreal, and we got to just celebrate this town that we live and in. And it's been an undercurrent of the storytelling through all the podcasts that we've done yeah. anyway. So, so let's just, let's just this go is, at it. This is it. Dig. We're doing this, and we're proud of that. We're wearing it with a badge. Badge of honor. So welcome to Mojo Montreal, or Montreal for the rest of us. Um, speaking of Montreal, let's talk a bit about hockey. I know you're born and bred in Toronto. You live in Montreal. Your wife is Francophone. Your son is Francophone, from what I could hear. And a Habs fan. And a Habs fan. And you are holding out on the Leafs as your choice. You could have no mojo right now. Because of what just happened with the Habs. Well, let's be real. I don't. I mean, that has been an energy suck. My God. What a just demoralizing (laughs) way to live being a Leafs fan. Holy shit. And then the CN Tower goes red, white, and blue in honor of the Habs. No, that was classy. That I like. I like. Because it's owned by CN, which is from... Montreal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I assume it's owned by CN. It's called the CN Tower. Well, the naming rights, anyways. So, so that pissed you off? You texted me that. I'm walking my dog. I get this text message: CN Towers, red, white, and blue. And you're like, join the join the fan club, man. And I was like, fucking, what a loserville Dude. attitude. Like, what? No, don't. No. Come on. So, who are you rooting for now? I'm not. I don't give a shit who wins. Anyway. Enough about hockey, because clearly I'm. I keep leaving you room on 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 our, on our bus, man. <laughs> See, we'll get you there. We'll get you there. So today's guest is a a mover, a shaker in Montreal. Jean Francois Bouchard, co-founder of a shop, an agency called Diesel Marketing back in the day, 1993. He was a student actually, and with his buddy Phil, they started it, and they realized. The name Diesel had some trademark issues, I think, or something like that. Anyway, they changed it to Sid Lee. Sid Lee kicked some ass, and as a competitor across town, that's kind of annoying. Uh, but anyway, uh, sometimes you got to just respect your competition, right? Habs Leafs. That's right, you got to tip your hat. Habs Leafs. You got to tip your hat. Yeah, that's right. No, like, congrats. Congrats. Anyway, so Sid Lee uh, grew up and got big, and JF was part of the stewardship of that, has moved on, did C2 conference. It's a kick-ass Montreal conference, although I'm still more of a Santa South by Southwest, but that that's okay. I'm very proud that we have a cool conference in the city, and he's a super accomplished photographer. Uh, and I know you're in love with his work. So essentially, that's who we have on today. We got it. We're going to dive in on the mojo of J.F. Bouchard. Listen up. Welcome, J.F. or Jean-Francois Bouchard to our podcast now called Mojo Montreal. Well, thanks for having me. So uh, I'm going to dive right in to a confession here. Uh, it's going to be awkward for you. <laughs> you make me insecure, dude. Why is that? Uh, and I'll tell you why. I'm going to tell you. Because you're kind of like the older brother 
who's always been one step ahead doing bigger and better things. It's like you're older than I am, but... Yeah, uh, now, now you're taking... No, let me finish my thing. Not an age thing. You are older than me, okay, technically. I am pretty sure of that. But no, it's more the spirit of the older brother. It's kind of like Alec Baldwin, and then he has all these brothers whose names we can't remember. And I feel like one of those brothers, you know, name one of them, you're like, yeah, it doesn't matter. There's Alec, and then there's some other brothers. And, and, and essentially... You're, you're always a step ahead. You're always a little shinier, sparkly of shit. <laughs> and this is my little therapy session. That's why you're here. All right. Um, it's not because of anything you've achieved. We're just getting this out. I got to work through this. Medication does wonders uh, for that problem. I uh, no, it's running. I'm sticking to running. <laughs> so uh, you've landed me a lot of psychological knockouts, okay? The first one, early cloud raker. We pitch Six Soleil uh, for their digital, oh. and um, and we essentially joined forces because we were a startup, literally living on credit cards, and we got an opportunity to pitch the digital for that. And we brought in partners. Uh, I don't know if you remember the creative shop out of uh, Amsterdam called Strawberry Frog, and we're like, yeah, yeah, let's do course. this. And literally the week of that pitch. The creative director on Strawberry Frog side died. Oh, yeah. I, and, I, I didn't remember that. Well, you wouldn't have known. And anyway, you guys took the pitch to a whole new level, and the rest is history because you guys, I would argue, is probably a transformative piece of business for you guys for a whole different things. Second knockout you did is we actually opened an office in Amsterdam before you guys, and the thing is, the only thing I have left of it is a $300,000 bicycle that sits in the office. Um, well, you're lucky because uh, I probably have a few hundred thousand dollars in debt. Well, so. no, no, the bicycle's literally... <laughs> I'd rather have the bicycle than the debt. Well, I don't know. Essentially, the bicycle didn't cost 300000 It's because of our failed experiment going to Amsterdam. Anyway, we went there first. You guys went there after and did a better storytelling around. I know it was a hard journey for both of us there. It was just a bigger yeah. flow. <laughs> <laughs> the third knockout is I, at some point, I don't know how many years ago, before you did C2, we were like, we, we launched a magazine that was called uh, uh, Rake and Co. It was going to be about the Mojo Montreal. And we we're like, we should launch a cool conference around. Oh, I remember. Uh, I didn't know about the conference, but I, I remember yeah, seeing the But we were going to do amazing. a conference and we, we, we reached out to Ignacio. You remember Ignacio who had. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And we were sure. like, yeah, yeah. hey, help us organize this thing. And he's, oh, I'm talking to Sid Lee about doing something, maybe. And then, anyway, if, if we never went ahead with it because we were trying to, we just couldn't figure it out. And then you guys fucking launched C2. Then the last knockout, the last. And then I'll stop doing this little moment. Is at Christmas <laughs> this year, this year, my Ooh, wife year. and I made a decision that we were going to be so minimalist on our gift to each other. We're like, we're we'll focus on the kids. It's not about us. Uh -huh. We'll each get each other one gift. So I opened up my gift, and it's a subscription and a, a, a beside magazine. Oh. And she's like, this <laughs> magazine good. is so awesome. This is the shit you should have done with your other magazine that you didn't continue doing. And then I, I open it up and I'm like, oh, fucking John Fuswood did that. I'm like, now my wife is a fan of you. <laughs> so there's my knockouts. I'll shift my gears away from my little therapy session here. But I'm just saying <laughs> you're like the older brother, always a step ahead. 
Thanks for uh, for saying that. And you, you also know that I've been a Cloudworker uh, fan for many years. I uh, love uh, a lot of the stuff you, you have done to, throughout uh, the years. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that we, we share a passion for... Uh, for creative uh, things and new ideas and experiments. And, and that's probably what we're going to be discussing uh, today. Uh, but uh, thanks for the, the kudos. Much appreciated. I appreciate you saying nice words. And I appreciate you navigating the discomfort of my insecurities. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on to, to one thing that I, um, and this is a big chapter of your life the Sidley story you can read about it there's articles uh it's a great story of a startup two friends it just you know went for it and then you know i know you know phil and then and bertrand joined you and you guys yeah, did a lot yeah. of great shit and frankly i don't want to get into that because that story has been told that's fine the, the part that i'm most fascinated with maybe because you know i have my own business and i work with collaborators and partners and it's a complex world because it's so human dependent and it's a very, yeah, for sure. there's a lot of egos and a lot of uh, uh, emotions and sensibilities. Yeah, and, and, uh, and yeah, then the sure. industry's tough and all that. The piece that I am most, and I, I told this to Phil last summer, we had a coffee. The piece I'm most impressed with what, at least my perception of what you guys achieved at Sidley was how you held it together. You, the collectivity of the leadership and partners. And again, I wasn't on the inside, but my perception of it is, you stuck together. You kept it that the cohesiveness of the leadership team and the you you kept it and without the bullshit. My view of it. And, and my question is, am I right on that? And 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 kind of what's the insight there? Like how did how did you keep the mojo alive amongst all those years and well, the, the part of the story that we don't read about uh, so much is that, you know, first and, and foremost, uh, this is the story of a broad uh, friendship between, and it's more than three people, you know, there was a, a core of, you know, six, seven people who were actual friends. And, you know, there's a, a pretty common business advice that you should not go in business with your friends. We basically did the exact opposite. Um, and of course, I, it came with some challenges, uh, but the, the, the group was so tight uh, because we, we shared uh, the same uh, values and, and the same ambitions and the same passions. So it made things a lot simpler for us because nothing had to be engineered. It, it was genuine. It was quite so... It was very much about preserving that and and then applying to this, you know, good business decision making, even when uh, it got emotional or because we, we didn't want to let the friendship get in the way of making difficult decisions at times. But that that was really the root cause of this. We, we basically assembled a group of people who um, shared um, you know, similar uh, worldviews to the point of, you know, we, we, we would see each other uh, on weekends all the time. So it was a bit ridiculous. We would spend the week together <laughs> and then the weekend together. Um, so I, I think this brought a lot of uh, cohesion in the group. 
Um, that said, you know, when I look at it, you know, 20 years uh, down the road, I, I also realized that this um, also meant that we, we had a, a bit of a lack of diversity as well. Um, so in this day and age, I think I would, I would do things a bit differently because uh, it, it was a great way to, to approach uh, the foundation of our, our company. But, uh, you know, uh, again, you know, times uh, change and we, this, this approach, I think, today would have to evolve a bit because it also created a very close-knit group of people that might have seemed impenetrable to, to other uh, folks. Um, and uh, that made us extremely competitive. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I think that uh, uh, today I, we, we, would, we would try to keep some of uh, the best parts uh, in, in, in doing that. And, and Sidley already has, has, has evolved from that era. But uh, at that time, that it certainly uh, drove uh, that cohesion that, that you uh, talked about. You know, there's moments for this. There's a lot of moments where it's like tough and you, you tough business yeah. decisions and, and maybe things are getting going a little sideways. Was there yeah. just a collective consciousness of how to work through those or would, would one individual play more the role of being the conscience of, of the crew? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, because we did hit some uh, rough patches, uh, obviously, like everybody does. And uh, the tendency uh, of the group at that point, it was almost all, always the same pattern. You know, the five, the first five, 10 percent of the crisis, you would see uh, some uh, some finger pointing and people getting a bit, uh, uh, you know, losing trust in one another slightly. And then it would regroup. And it, it, it became even tighter. Um, so that, that's what happened. So we, we would actually almost know that we're getting into a crisis when, uh, you know, these tensions arose. It was very often a sign that we were getting into a, a crisis. So when the finger and pointing started, it was like, okay, wait. There's something going on here. Yeah, yeah, it, it means something <laughs> is off. And people regrouped uh, after that. And, and, of course, over the years... Things have evolved a bit because at the beginning it, it was all about you know keep, keeping that uh, that group's uh, mojo uh, alive, and it, eventually we realized that the only way that this could be sustainable and, and more inclusive was to channel this uh, energy and this thoughtfulness because we 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 actually spent a lot of time thinking and talking about these things. And our, our goal at, at some point was to transport this into the company's culture uh, uh, and, and this way make it much uh, broader. And that's why we have put tons of efforts, um, especially after the first couple of years when we have more people um, to, to try to approach the company culture in a very thoughtful manner. And for us, it was almost, uh, it's something we would discuss as often as operations almost. And it it led to a very systematic management of these things. And and we would actually translate our ideas about the culture into uh, a programming for the year that you could you could look at actually on an actual uh, uh, you know programming sheet and and everything that would happen was carefully planned. So we were very thoughtful ab uh, about this, and I I think that that's what kept that group that group uh, uh, of people, even even the larger group of people, uh, quite tight. Uh, that said, you know, just like in any agency, 
there's quite a bit of uh, of uh, turnover, um, and we attracted you know young folks trying wanted to experiment. So obviously, you know some of them would stick around. Some of the, some yeah. would uh, would go on to do new adventures. But in general, the time they they spent uh, with us was a, a true learning experience or or even a transformative experience. Um, and of course, some people hated it, but uh, very often when we, when I, I speak to alumni, I realize that it played an important role in, in their lives, and they they formed friend, friendships uh, there, had kids, and so uh, of course, all companies uh, experience that. But our goal was always to push that to the point of making this distinctive. Speaking of kids, Mark's like literally his wife, <laughs> his due, maybe even during this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we were just 37 weeks pregnant, so we're like, it could be now. <laughs> so if he goes running, a, you know. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, if someone comes running in behind me, you'll know why. Um, I want to actually ask a, a sort of a creative question. Um, yeah. With all the different people and all the voices and talent you've had come through Sidley, over that period of time, is there one of one project in particular that you look back on now and think like, wow, that was, that's really special. And every time you think about it, it sort of like gives you a little boost. You're like, I'm really glad we put that into the world for everyone. Well, um, Thane uh, alluded a bit earlier uh, to the work we did in the early days uh, with Cirque du Soleil. And, you know, I, I kind of tell if it was, it, you know, if it had a true impact in in the world, um, but it, it certainly did have an impact on us uh, because it it, it was a, a great um, confidence booster. Uh, we we had international ambitions, but local clients, and and of course, Cirque du Soleil was a bit of a bridge in, in this regard, and also you know by by uh, traveling. Uh, with them in in their uh, in their baggage, their luggage, uh, you know, we 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 were introduced to all kinds of interesting people, uh, both on the business and and the creative side, and it, it sort of became normal for us to to work internationally, and we started getting requests to do projects um, in other parts of the world because of that relationship. So it was very transformative uh, for uh, for I us. I remember actually. Um... And don't take this badly. So one of your staff who worked on that pitch ended up at our shop. And I won't name names. Well, it doesn't matter. It was so long ago. So uh, Chris Manchester's sister, Jessica, uh, afterwards worked at our shop. And she showed me the pitch book that you built or created. Yeah, it was pretty pretty for, amazing, wasn't it? The pitch was for digital. It was essentially for their website. And no offense, yeah. the website that was created wasn't it's it wasn't that it was, transformative but the book no. that i saw she didn't was. give it to me but she flipped through and i was like yeah, yeah. that book is awesome yeah we basically pitched a website with a poem <laughs> because it, it was basically a poem in in a in a coffee table book and <laughs> and bertrand read it and he, he cried at some point in the pitch and and so did the guy la liberté but uh, but it's true that the I, I think the website, you know, it, it was a kind of an immersive website, but it it it, it made it cumbersome and, and not very effective. But we were still experimenting <laughs> yeah, was, at that time. The book time. was beautiful, yeah. dude. So yeah. like, but the book was pretty amazing, yeah. But after that, we started launching shows, and that that's probably when we uh, we hit our uh, hit your stride. 
Let's try it. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of crying, I did one pitch once for uh, Liz Watier and and I made her cry mm-hmm. <laughs> in a good way too. Uh, I read I read this thing about eyelashes and anyway. <laughs> moving on. Uh, I I was I was testing on my feminine side and it was clearly there. Yeah, and it worked. worked. <laughs> you connected. Okay, let's talk about C two for a sec. Yeah, I think the last time we had a sort of meaningful chat was on the flight back from. My first time and last time I went to South by Southwest, and I'm guessing it's... It was probably my first time, too. 2016 or 17. No, yeah, but my feeling yeah, is you'd launch C2 by then, or maybe you were... Yeah, yeah, we, we launched it almost 10 years ago. So I think you were on a... Rec- re- what's the Recon word, mission? Recon mission. Um, yeah, and yeah, that, that, would, uh, that would be right. How did C2, like, come about? Like, was it... And, and I'm not going to be me. Oh, I'm going to be me. Was it... Did you come at it like, oh, this is great. This is a great content opportunity or or this is a great marketing ploy for our agency. And if we can do that, that would be awesome to to meet cool folks and network. The two elements that you uh, you alluded to were definitely part of the of, of the thinking. But I, I think it uh, it came from a an even more fundamental need that uh, that I shared with many of my colleagues. And you have to understand that one thing that has driven me my, my whole life is the refusal of barriers between disciplines and industries and categorizations. It drives me insane. So uh, th- that that's why, you know, at Sidley, we wanted, you know, to, to do digital, but also advertising and architecture and and. And even that I felt was very constrained. Um, and the idea of talking about uh, creativity, innovation, culture across different in- industries, uh, across uh, different sectors like uh, the, the public sector, the private sector, um, I-, I found that extremely exciting and, and stimulating. And we thought also uh, that Montreal, because of its fabric, lended itself quite well for this amalgamation. Uh, I think we see a bit more collaboration in Montreal between sectors than in other cities. The idea was to uh, mesh all this uh, together and, and refuse you know, boundaries between disciplines, disciplines yeah. and sectors, and also invite everybody to participate, even from our own industry. Uh, so we didn't want this to be a, a Sidley gig. And of course, it's been associated with, with Sidley to a certain degree, but I, I think now it clearly has a, a life of mm-hmm. its own and, and, and people's fully understand that it's very different entities uh, and and to me that's a good sign of uh, of success because it it was the uh, the uh, the intent but but of course you know we were um, also opportunistic about it and and uh, yes we 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 did see it as a as an interesting tool for uh, for Sidley um, for business uh, development it turned out that it's probably more powerful as you know to to expose our talent to new ideas and 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 sort of uh, promote uh, the culture because 
the event became so big and and so intense that it's it's not the best place for Sidley, honestly, to, to do new bits. Uh, <laughs> no, so but but uh, but there's been nice collaborations that that have uh, emerged uh, out of. Uh, so it was definitely worth it for Sidley, and it still is, and that's why also many other partners uh, join in. But um, when, when we did that, there, there was a clear intent to give back to Montreal what we felt we had gotten from it. And uh, so I, I think it was probably 75% that, uh, celebrating the, 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 the creative community, um, you know, giving a voice to, to the community uh, on international markets. Yeah, so it was probably 75% that and, and, and 25% of so let me jump in here because the Mojo Moments podcast is now evolving into Mojo Montreal because, you know, Mark, native Torontonian, moves to Montreal, chooses this town, although he doesn't, he's still a Leafs fan. I'm working on this, Jean-Francois. <laughs> I keep inviting him to join our bus. But anyway, uh, I'm, I'm originally from the Eastern Townships. Um, and, and really post university, I, I didn't think Montreal would be my future because in the early nineties, it was really bad. I am sure you know that yeah, it was in a slump. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. you know, I, I chose Montreal and, and I think what we realized doing the Mojo podcast is Montreal is our huge part of us and, and a lot of our guests at different levels. Cause obviously the guests we know are often more in our circles. And, and uh, so it's interesting that you're what I'm reading on your, your own DNA or, or personal thing is about, you know, breaking boundaries and, and your read of Montreal is there. It's maybe because of size and not necessarily by choice is a city that, there's a lot of boundaries broken down, so it gives fruit to these kind of or lack of boundary type collaborations and and thinking. Is that fair to say? That that's that's my belief, yes, and um, and I think it extends to uh, other uh, factors as well. For example, the fact that we're a bilingual city. You know, in in most cities, uh, you know, there's one language, and and having two languages, I, I think, is is another way of of uh, crossing a border, especially when you live in in North America, obviously. So, yeah, I believe that's something that's that's quite uh, distinctive in in Montreal, and um, some uh, people have also talked about uh, the DIY. Uh, nature of entrepreneurship in, in in Quebec less so probably today. I think it's becoming more and more sophisticated. But we we celebrated at some point this this DIY uh, notion. It was probably the the first way of celebrating entrepreneurship uh, in 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 Quebec. But I, I think all this has evolved into an interesting uh, melting pot. Also, uh, and and we're probably lagging behind. Toronto, for example, in this regard, but uh, even from a cultural standpoint, uh, the city is fairly multicultural and and the relationships between um, the, the various uh, groups in, in society are, are pretty harmonious. And I think that also contributes to, to, to that. Again, I think we can do a lot better in this regard, but uh, at least it's, it's not completely homogeneous. Um, so all these things, uh, I believe, uh, contribute to, uh, to creating this uh, this interesting, uh, slightly different 
uh, melting pot. Do you have any advice to how to get Mark on our Habs bandwagon here? Or <laughs> I'm also a Leaf fan, so it's going to be hard for me to help you on that on this one. What? You're a Leafs fan? You're yeah. joking. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> He's joking. <laughs> that would have been the, that would have been a bombshell. Could you imagine? <laughs> That would have been amazing. All right, I'm going to jump into something else uh, and talk a little bit about your photography. Um, okay. So, you know, you, you've done two sort of great collections. There was one on guns and one on body transformations. I, I'm just curious, like, is this a way that you sort of look at regaining some mojo or is it just like you need to explore new areas? Like, how do you go about choosing the subjects that you explore? Because they're so deep and they're so nuanced and, you know, of a time as well. So it's I'm curious about that. Well, uh, Mark, one thing you should know is that when I, uh, in my 20s, early 20s, I uh, was trying to figure out what I would do with my life, and I actually had a list, and uh, on the list, uh, there was a start a magazine, um, <laughs> start an ad agency, I, I think it was probably more design agency at that point, uh, be a photographer, or be a lawyer. I, I had uh, I, I was uh, I, I was finishing my my letter grad that time, so lawyer uh, quickly uh, got off uh, the list, <laughs> and um, I ended up uh, starting uh, a design agency. But the photography uh, part, um, you know, I, I always I missed it for the first maybe you know, 10 years where I was very, very focused on, on Sidley. And I, I started dabbling into photography again, about, about 10 years into uh, Sidley. I was, I was initially more interested in documentary photography and street photography. My mother had given me a Henri Cartier-Bresson book. Uh, I have I was, that uh, book. I think I have. I was 17. And yeah. that made a huge uh, impression on me. And uh, that's how I got into uh, photography. Um, and I, I still have this book to this day. Anyway, so I, I got back into photography, but it, it was it was mostly escapism uh, for me. I would leave on on uh, documentary trips uh, all over the world, and uh, and then present shows, you know, once uh, every couple of years. And it, things got a little more serious uh, maybe five years ago, um, and my work started shifting uh, towards uh, contemporary uh, photography. Um, so yes, it still has a, a, a documentary uh, route, uh, but I'm, I'm trying to to make it more conceptual. And, and again, it's probably it probably goes back to this um, notion of, of breaking uh, boundaries again, but I'm interested in, in, in people who uh, deviate from, from the norms, basically, and uh, that society very often considers to be very different, but at the core, uh, you know, these people being humans, they're actually quite similar to us and, and, and trying to understand uh, their lives and, and uh, uh, bringing that into my art practice is what I find uh, interesting super cool yeah because like we're like the in guns we trust stuff it's it's so beautiful because it's so serene but behind it there's such violence the, yeah like, it, it was fascinating well this, this was a tougher subject matter for me because in general um i i'm interested in groups um that uh, that are misunderstood and uh for whom i, I feel empathy um but of course with gun owners and and given my my uh left uh, weaning uh leaning tendencies uh, -huh. uh this was very hardcore uh, the first time i i traveled to one of these uh shooting range 
my my trip was scheduled to be for four days, and it was a, a boondoggle to get there. And uh, it took me almost uh, 12 hours to, to get to somewhere deep in, in Kentucky. And um, after two hours, I packed my bags and I left. <laughs> I could not stand it at all. There, there, there was uh, all kinds of eight uh, literature and crazy stories uh, uh, around uh, Obama. Not a single black person in sight in and I think there were probably like 3,000 people there. It was insane. Um, so I, I left and I, I was shocked. And uh, I, I, let it, I let the project uh, rest for a couple of years. And then I realized that I should do a much better job of trying to understand. Um, and uh, that, that's why I decided to, to go back um, and, uh, and immerse myself in, in, in this community again. And and uh, the the second time around, I and it was this time it was not in Kentucky, it was uh, down in uh, in Arizona, and I ended up spending a couple of weeks uh, living in an RV with uh, with uh, these folks over over a period of two years approximately, and uh, it didn't change my politics at all, <laughs> but no. at least I, I discovered uh, the humans uh, behind this, and I. I ended up feeling like they're they're also victims of of this uh, of this this worldview, um, and that it's ingrained in them uh, from a very young age. I actually saw many kids there would shoot uh, machine guns at the age of seven. Um, so it's it's very easy from our vantage point to to criticize uh, uh, these people. But uh, when when you look at it from from uh, their perspective, and you don't you don't have to embrace their their uh, their ideas, but uh, understanding these ideas is is a step forward, and at some point will 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 uh, bring some benefits. It's interesting you say that because we had on our show uh, Duncan McHugh, mm-hmm. who's a journalist for CBC. And I don't know if mm-hmm. you've heard, there's a, a, in a there's a Sunday show, radio call-in show that's been around for forever, uh, mm-hmm. Cross Canada Checkup, where people phone in on topics. Okay, no, so it's this weekly thing. It's kind of like two mon en pal, but with all of Canada phoning in, and they and they okay. can't really filter okay. these people. You know, there's all different points of view, and, and yeah, some of yeah, them. Yeah. We asked Duncan, like, how do you deal as a you know when you had the less quote unquote desirable type call-ins where you're like, (laughs) it is not my job to judge. My job is to understand and help bring, bring that through. doesn't mean I agree, but it's to create space for understanding. Um, Hey, well, that's what I've I've, I've tried to do. um, I'm conscious of time here, but I did have a quick question like you're, and maybe this is a, again, selfish question because you you've spent you know i don't know how many years building a company and now you've you're transitioning into new chapters you know how did you find the mojo like the shift out of sidley for so many years and retooling that was a did you know what you were going to do next uh or you kind of just threw yourself into it and saw what would emerge and and uh well, it's uh, it's a very good question because um, surprisingly, it was not a very painful process for me. Uh, it, you know, a lot of people uh, they 
being fully aware of my passion for Sidley and the fact that it felt like my baby and that it was a part of my identity, no, no doubt about it, uh, assumed that it was very painful for me to, to leave uh, the company. And, and surprisingly, it wasn't. Um, what was hard is, is uh, leaving colleagues behind, people I would see on a daily basis, and now they've got their own thing going, their own mojo yeah. going, and I'm, I'm, I'm only occasionally part of it. Uh, that feels really weird. Um, and, you know, sometimes I don't get inside jokes. Um, and uh, <laughs> then I, I feel like I'm no longer, you know, uh, a member of the band. I don't even get the inside um, jokes when I, I'm even on the inside. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that part has been painful, but... I'm, I'm very curious and uh, again in the spirit of exploring different things and that uh, after you know almost 25 years uh, running a creative company, although it's a it's an, an environment that that is very satisfying for curious minds and and, and creative uh, people, um, it felt to me at some point that I, I really needed to experiment different playgrounds and also, you know, running a creative company is very exhausting because, uh, no. as you said earlier, thing you know, <laughs> the human factor is uh, extremely demanding, and uh, we had a broad partnership, and uh, a big part of my role was making sure that 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 these people got along together. So I needed to put a lot of uh, emotional energy into that, and. Um, at some point, I just needed more freedom. You know, in, in the very beginning, I felt like I owned Sidley, but at the end, it felt like uh, Sidley owned maybe not me, but my brain, because of course it would mm. I would compute things all the time. And at some point, I, I just wanted my brain to be free to think about different things. Um, contemporary art was one of these things. Also, the company was getting big, and I'm... I think I'm I'm better as a as a you know true uh, starter entrepreneur you know at some point you know doing like big projects for for almost a thousand employees it's I didn't feel I was the best at doing that and it it, it was draining me a little mm -hmm. bit so re-embracing my entrepreneurial uh, roots uh, a bit uh, and of course you can be an entrepreneur in a massive uh, company but. For me, starting things um, and trying to imagine something new, um, you know, I felt like I, I needed to do that uh, more. Uh, so basically, no, it was a fairly natural uh, transition. And uh, also, I, I remained involved at Sidley for, for a couple of years and um, also at, at C2. Um, I even was CEO of C2 for about a year uh, after I left. Uh, uh, now it's Jacques-André who, who leads uh, the team. So now I'm focused on... Um, you know, investing and collaborating with with other entrepreneurs. Um, with uh, beside, I'm 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 more involved, and in, and that to me is fascinating because it's I I, I wanted to get into architecture, not architecture, but uh, real estate for for the longest time, but with something creative and and you know, as as you know, besides sits at at the intersection between between content and real estate and hospitality, which is a strange but very very fascinating yeah. intersection um so i and, and the team is absolutely exceptional so 
Um, I, I think that they're going to have a lot of success here and, and internationally. And, and finally, uh, less so during the pandemic because I need to travel. But my, my goal when I, I stepped down from Sydney was to spend at least 50% of my time uh, dedicated to my art practice. This has gone sideways a bit because of the, the, the COVID uh, restrictions, but I'm, I'm, I'm really anxious to re-embrace it, uh, especially now that uh, I will be moving to, uh, to New York in, in, uh, in a few yeah, weeks. Yeah, I so, heard the uh, news. It's going to open new doors. And Mark, yeah. if you didn't get the memo, uh, I don't know if you're married, but Jean-Francois' partner is, yeah, has got a right? big job down in the States and... He's moving it's to New actually York. an interesting story because I got my my stag party was was in New York, and um, when I launched uh, Sidley uh, the the very first year, um, and that's probably at the time when we were doing business cards for plumbers, um, I, I did a, a an exploratory mission in New York to figure out how we could set up a shop there. And uh, thank God, realized that uh, uh, we were uh, we would be uh, in over our head uh, substantially. Uh, but I, I was always fascinated by 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 New York, and uh, ended up opening an office there uh, down the road. Uh, but it was not as satisfactory as I, I would have hoped because my relationship with New York became very much about. Uh, business and launching this thing and it became a bit stressful the way I experienced uh, New York and now because of my wife uh, I'm gonna have the true experience where uh, she's getting the big job and uh, I'm basically her concierge uh, and and chef (laughs) so (laughs) So you're just gonna enjoy New York I like that a lot (laughs) cool yeah, 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 and the work I do now, I, I can do from anywhere. So uh, because I'm, 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 I don't have a, a a team that I have to to see every single day. Um, it's it's quite easy for so she's my best life uh, in New York is uh, something I have to thank my wife for. So when I come to New York, it means it means you have time to to look after me. Is that yeah, possible? Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, but it, it's gonna it's gonna create uh, space for. New things. I, I don't know what it's going to be. And it's funny because somebody yeah. was asking me uh, the other day, so what are you going to do in New York? And I realized I had not even given it uh, a second uh, of thought. And and, and I, I realized maybe it's because we're drawn, uh, drawning into logistics, you know, moving and tax and immigration and all this shit. But, uh, and then I said, oh, I have to think about this. And then I said, no, I will not think about it. What I will do is I will wait for the very first morning when I will woke, woke, wake up in, uh, in uh, our apartment in New York, walk to uh, a nice cafe, sit down, and then figure out what I'm doing there. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I, I, have a, I have a meeting with myself in, in, uh, in, about, uh, in about two months. <laughs> Your book, and that's then awesome. we'll figure it out. I like that. That's good mojo. So what, where are you going to be living roughly in, in New York? Uh, Tribeca. Okay, Ooh, so I'm picturing yeah. the cafe. I'm seeing you out there, and I think uh, it's going to be Baltazar. And then, yeah, and if then that's it, okay with you. Yeah, I'll be there, dude. For. I'll be there, and I'll, I'll do this meeting with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, super time conscious. We're going to throw five quick questions at you. The rabbit All hole right. five is going to be quick because you have literally five minutes left. Quick first question. We call the rabbit hole five. Who's uh, someone uh, that you, number one C2 guest, you wish 
you could have had but couldn't get to come to the conference? Um, well, obviously, there's lots of big names that uh, that we've always uh, wanted at uh, at C2 and who are uh, are are to get. But uh, one that I've been uh, chasing for a long time, unsuccessfully uh, at uh, this stage, is Ai Weiwei, uh, the, the Chinese artist. And um, I'm, I'm hoping that one day uh, you will come. In the early days, um, his, his English was so bad that that's the reason he, he never came. But he got much, much better. So now his English is perfectly fine. And I'm hoping that uh, at some point uh, we'll be able to get him. You realize when we tee up these questions for our guests, you're sending the mojo karma out into the world. Manifestation. Ah, that's it. Ah. So now it's going to work. Boom. It's going to work. Mark, you're up. Number two. What's a medium that you see is something that's kind of under the radar at the moment? Like you've been in advertising and, and all of these different sort of vocations. What's what's a medium that you think could be used differently in, in, in an interesting way? Well, it's not a, a medium, but it's it's clearly the power of uh, of communities, mm. um, and um, I, I think that uh, you know some brands got it right. Most of the brands they don't get it uh, right, and there's not a. It's only a genuine community if people interact among themselves as well, and I think that's what uh, brands uh, miss. But uh, communities are so powerful, uh, and and a lot of star startups understand that. Uh, some of them will actually create a community before they create a product. Uh, that was the case with 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 Beside, uh, you know, before the uh, Beside Habitat uh, uh, communities slash resorts were created. Uh, you know, people came together uh, around uh, content, and it was not just a one-way street or even a two-way street. It's it's a multilateral uh, type thing. So I, I really believe in the power of communities as as a, as a uh, a very modern uh, marketing tool. Awesome. Number three, let's say there's this, hypothetically, there's a pandemic in the world. You know, maybe <laughs> it's a germ. <laughs> you know, it's all fictional. This shit could never happen. But imagine there was. But yeah. it's so bad, you had to live in one place and not move from that place. And you literally that place, you have a 50 kilometer radius around you. So you have to choose one place for the rest of your life. There's no doubt that this would be my sailboat. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But where is that sailboat? Where is it going to be? Cause it's it, in the Caribbean. So you would moved, you'd be in the Caribbean. Yeah, but but it's uh, it, it's very rhetorical because uh, practically I looked into it and it's a a real <laughs> regulatory <laughs> nightmare. It's, it's it's unpractical, but uh, in in a dream state, that's that's what I, I where I would I would imagine myself anchored in a nice uh, bay, but uh, doesn't work that well. Okay, all right. Number four, is there a photo out there in the world that you wish you had taken? That if you'd be like, just one. Dude. Oh, that, that's 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 ridiculously hard to pick. Um, I think the most heroic shot ever is probably by Kappa, uh, the shots from D-Day. And there's one particular shot on the beach that, that you probably have on your mind. This is the probably the most uh, the most amazing shot ever taken. Probably nice. one of the most memorable uh, pictures from uh, World War Two. That was was that a Life magazine cover or? or I think I believe it was. Yeah. Yes, I yeah, think yeah. I know the one. And it, it you know it later led to the the creation of uh, 
the Magnum uh, photo agency with uh, with Henri Cartier-Bresson and a few others. Um, so yeah, that that's pretty epic. The last question, and we're almost on time, my friend. Um, and we asked this to everyone, and it's my shortcut to getting advice from my own eldest son. And uh, what advice would you give your yourself at seventeen? Um, you know what? I'm probably more interested in the advice I would give myself at at 53 than uh, at 17. Okay. <laughs> and I, I think you'll find it more interesting as well uh, because, you know, nobody can go back in time. And of course you can be 17 and hear this, but what I think we should do is, you know, as, as we progress in life is, is never to, to settle for, for what we know and always experiment and try new things and, um, you know, go outside our, our comfort uh, zone. So that's something that's super easy to say at a 50, uh, to a 17 year old. But um, I think it's a more meaningful conversation with a 53 uh, year old, because that's when we tend to, you know, repeat the same patterns um, and, and uh, become victims of, of the biases we have created over time uh, and, and things that have worked well for us and, and, and become scared of things that have not worked uh, so well for us. So I, I think that um, th this is extremely valuable and important. And again, it, it goes back to the, the root of refusing boundaries. Um, I, I don't know why, except for the obvious physical boundaries that come with uh, as we age, but I think our minds are completely free uh, uh, of, of these uh, limitations and uh, that we should be super conscious of that and uh, uh, very focused on making sure that we don't repeat patterns and, and, and always try to embrace new new things. So that, that would be my advice to my 53-year-old uh, 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 self. And 17. It works across the board, man. Yeah, I probably was. Yeah, you're probably right. So this is, uh, <laughs> look, uh, I really uh, appreciate your time. Uh, well, thanks. Uh, thank uh, I know you have a big move coming up. Uh, so does that mean this summer you're gone? You're in New York? Well, actually, or? my 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 wife uh, will leave ahead of me a little bit. I need to take care of some uh, moving logistics back here, but um, I, I, I should join her uh, in August, and, and she will be leaving uh, in, in mid-July. Uh, so we look forward to the adventure. That's Aww. awesome. Thank you so much for being on the, the Mojo Montreal kick-ass, world-famous podcast. <laughs> Thank you, folks. Much appreciated. Thanks take care. Take Thanks. care. Best of luck with the move. Bye. That was Jean-François Bouchard. Uh, lots of insights. I... I was just like, I want to be as serene as he is. It was just like every question was like, oh, and then calm, considered, insightful answer. Like, shit, I want to attain that level of just like status in my life, just having a control and, and, and having achieved so much. That's so I cool. I feel you're, you have that sereneness. You're, you know, you know, sometimes I'm always oh, like, thank you. so what's going on? Like when we're jamming and you're like, I'm just thinking, man. And I'm like, yeah. Then the other time he's like, yeah. why are you so angry? <laughs> That's the other thing you say to me all the you're time. Like, I'm just thinking. No. Uh, so that I'm was a lot thinking. of fun. I, you know, one of the things, um, uh, 
I think Montreal, because it's not big enough, <laughs> allows for and, and 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 has given up the the role of being the biggest country uh, city in Canada. I think it's a little inter- really interesting insight because when you think of so you know so-called second cities like uh, Amsterdam or Barcelona that are perceptually you know creative and cool and have that mojo if you want, I think that's that's interesting. It's about it leaves room for more diversity because you like his example of like in Paris you could become world famous at making dinnerware because it's such a center of, you know, maybe design and luxury and whatever, you know, in Montreal, it's more, you got to do a lot of things and you got to hang out with a lot of different people to make things happen. I have a theory. You want my theory? Yeah. I like theories. I think, I think one of the things that makes Montreal, Barcelona, Vancouver, so interesting, New York even, is they're not a center of government. Provincially it's in Quebec city. It's in Victoria. It's in Albany and New York. Right. I think there's definitely an element of that. This is a Montreal is a city that doesn't have that element of government at the center of it where, I mean, I'm not denigrating government, but there's so many people who need to work for those establishments. And it's a certain type of person who works in that. Like Montreal has always been this design creative Mecca of all these people, all these different disciplines that just seems a bit freer. Whereas you go to maybe a more, governmental city like ottawa or quebec city and even toronto there's 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 a more of a rigidity to 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 things so that's my theory on that well i'm glad you have a theory i i, I see i get your point and i i think there's a i think it's also a size thing you know i think new york still feels it's uh you know there's this kind of we are the center of the of the universe i i think the montreal doesn't pretend to be that uh but there's there's this idea of soft power too, right? Like so soft power is where culturally, socially you you exert a massive influence, whereas hard power would be something that's more military, right? So New York has this it's it's a huge soft power in the world, right? Everything that comes out of there, you think of all the TV, the Broadway, the the ideas, the the people, it, it's this huge soft power engine and, in that regard. So yeah, I mean Yeah. We're in some right. deep sort of theories here. So um Look, that was an awesome, and uh, if you guys uh, out there haven't seen uh, Jean-Francois's photography, Google it. I think he has a site, jfbouchard.com. Uh, it's, it's, it's yeah. you know, for a business, dude, and not even as a business, dude, dude it's pretty, pretty brilliant, incredible, incredible work. Uh and what's fascinating about that, that it sort of hit me um, and stood out for me there is he took a very anthropological approach to it. And that's what I studied at universities. That's what my, my master's degree is in, right? He, he went there, he stayed there, he learned about them and he didn't judge them. And that was one thing that he said, right? He's like, I, I went there to understand them and not, and not pass, you know, a judgment on them. And that, I think probably was one of the reasons that led to him having those those really interesting photos and earning the trust of the people and being and able to I'll get all that access. And I'll take it to the next level. You know, documentary, uh, there's kind of this sort of BS in the documentary world where they're trying to pretend they're being objective, uh, but they're not. There's always a point of view. And I think that his style that he took in the photography clearly says there is someone behind this lens taking the shot with a point of view. 
because it, it has mm. such a contemporary style. So I find it more authentic that way. It's, he's not trying to pretend this is just pure documentary. It is documentary. It's anthropological. No. I like and your I like your angle on it. It is anthropological, but acknowledging that there is a perspective on this through yeah. awesome, beautiful shots. Hey, look, man. Um, we got meetings. We got work to do, dude. So Mojo Montreal is 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 alive and well. And uh, we'd like to thank still Chris Vellin for his awesome music. As, as a Montrealer, we got to high five our great tunes being born and shared to the world here. So on that note, au revoir. <laughs> we can... Ciao. Ciao. We can edit that part out if we want, or we just leave it. That's how we roll. Just leave it in. Yeah. See who gets there. See who gets there. Yeah.